But we are going to finish the series that we've been in, um, Loving the World Around Us. And this is the second part of getting practical. Because today, in, my prayer is that it will be very practical. And I'm hoping I can get through everything. Okay, if I don't, then we won't end it this week. Okay, we'll end it whenever I do, I'm done. So, uh, uh, but we'll, we're hoping to get through this. So, two weeks ago, we discovered that God is on an all-out search, again, for at least two kinds of people, the fully committed and those who are lost and in need of a Savior. Ezekiel 34 says, For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for the scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they are scattered on that dark and cloudy day. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away, and I will bring them safely home again. And then Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Whether we realize it or not, you and I, man, we are the hands, the feet, and the voice uh, of Jesus in this place and in this town, in this community, in this city, in this state, in this world. We are his hands, we are his feet, we are his voice, and we have been tasked with the privilege of sharing the good news and sharing what he has done for us. Now, because that's true, we have to, to make, I believe, an intentional effort to find ways to connect with those outside of Jesus. I don't, I don't think we can, we have the luxury of just sitting back waiting for people to come to us. That's never what we were called to do and be. It's time we go out and, and we really begin living and being Jesus to a lost and dying world. So as we began to look at this in a practical way, this is what we discovered two weeks ago. I focused on the first two key areas, and the first one was simply this. Jesus has to be real to you. I mean, Jesus has to be real to you because the reality is you can't give somebody something that you don't already have in your hearts. And if Christ isn't real to you, if Jesus isn't real to you, then you're never going to share him with others. He's got to be more than the good guy who lived just a couple thousand years ago. More than just someone you go to in times of trouble or before you sit down and you eat some food. He's got to be both your Savior and your Lord. But the second thing we discovered two weeks ago was this. We need to develop a heart that is soft and tender toward lost people. Because one of the things we discovered was this. Lost people matter to God. I mean, they matter to him so much so that he's willing to leave everything to search for them. And if lost people matter to God, they need to matter to us. As well. And then I challenged you with two things. One is this ask God to give you a vision and a passion for your family, your neighbors, your friends, and your coworkers. And then pray every morning God, give me somebody to share with today. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I wonder how many of you have been doing that. Just praying every morning when you get up God, give me somebody today to share with, somebody to pour into. So with that said, I want us to begin to unpack the rest. The third thing is simply this. We have to develop relationships with those around us, especially those outside of Jesus. Here's the thing. You will never share with those you haven't developed a relationship with. And you won't develop a relationship with them until you see them the way God sees them. Let me remind you of something that I think we tend to forget. 
I mean, whether you realize it or not, man, we have a lot in common with those who are outside of Jesus. I mean, they have cars that break down, and so do we. I saw a picture just a while ago on a phone of, of, uh, of a husband who was on his way to church, and his car is in, in smoke. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's just, there was smoke everywhere. You see, we have cars that break down, and so do they. I mean, we have kids that get sick and throw up everywhere at the most inconvenient times, and so do they. They have high house payments, and so do we. As we've said before, the non-believer, those outside of Jesus, man, they're not our enemy. They're only captives of the enemy, and we ought to be enough of a soldier for Jesus that we'd want to storm the enemy gates and bring back these POWs of this spiritual battle that we're in. And those of you who are here today, which are most of you or a lot of you who are in the military, you ought to understand that very thing. Because we are also soldiers of Christ. And there's a lot of POWs out there that need to be rescued, that need to be saved. So let me ask you, what are you doing to get to know those who don't have a relationship with Jesus? I mean, what are you doing to get to know those outside of Christ? Well, today I want to give you some practical things that can help us in developing these relationships. The first is this, live and model a consistent lifestyle. Live and model a consistent lifestyle. There was a passage of scripture we looked at two weeks ago. It's found in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 5. Paul says this in verse 5, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. We have to understand that the way we live speaks volumes. You see, whether you realize it or not, when people know that you are a Christian, they will watch you. They'll watch you. They want to see that what you say matches how you live. And so they'll watch you. Now, back in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says this. He says, we pray that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. You know what Paul's praying for? You know what he's doing here? He's praying that we'll be people of our word. He's praying that we will be people of character, people who make the right lifestyle choices so that God can shine in us and through us. Here's the thing that we forget sometimes. Every day of our life is an integrity test. Every day that we live is an integrity test. The question then is this, how are you doing? How are you doing? I mean, can people see Jesus in you and through you? And so we need to live and model a consistent lifestyle. But the next thing is this, we need to put ourselves in a place to meet non-believers. Now, I don't have a lot of time to really share a lot with you on this, but I've shared with you before, this has been a passion of mine for years. Ever since I was a youth pastor, and I went to a conference, and I heard the guy say, just because you're a pastor does not exempt you from being a Christian. In other words... Just because you're a pastor and you call on people doesn't exempt you from doing your job as a Christian, which is sharing and pouring into people. Because I think a lot of pastors use that as an excuse. 
I mean, we have people that visit this church all the time, and when I visit you and call on you, that does not exempt me from doing what I've been called to do as a believer. And so ever since that time, I've put myself in a place to meet non-believers. It's been almost every church I've been in. When I moved to Charlotte, Lucy was still in Oklahoma, her and Kyle. Brandon was his first year at OU. And... Um, it was in the end of January, and we still had a house to sell, and she, Kyle was finishing his senior year. So it wasn't going to be until May until they came out. So my very first week in Charlotte, I went to the park where they had tennis courts. And I just kind of hung out, hung around, and I met a high school boy and his dad. I met uh, Brian, the, the dad, and, and his son. And we began to develop a relationship. And Matt and I, the son, we began to play tennis at least once a week during lunch. We just hung out, played tennis. He graduated as a senior that year in May, and he started coming then to our Bible study for young, young adults in the summer. You see, he had a desire and a passion to go into ministry, but his dad wasn't a Christian. Through that relationship, I started to get a relationship with Brian, the dad, and he invited me on weekends uh, to come out to a, uh, a high school out in uh, north of Monroe, North Carolina, literally out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, at this high school, and there was a group of guys, about 10 of us, that played tennis. They played every Saturday afternoon and every Sunday afternoon, and I would usually pick one of those at least every other week, and I'd go out, and I'd play tennis with these guys, and we'd play doubles, and I'd just get, hang out. I'd get to know them. Now, the interesting thing, it was three months before anybody knew I was a pastor. I didn't tell them. If they didn't ask, I wasn't going to tell them. I just hung out and became friends with them. And then one day we were talking, Randy and I were talking at the net, and he simply said, hey, man, what do you do anyway? We've never asked. I said, I'm a pastor. And he goes, you're not a pastor. (laughs) He goes, I've never met a pastor like you. And I said, I'm going to take it as a compliment. But I began to continue those relationships. You see, I put myself in a place to meet non-believers. And I'll share with you a, bit, a little bit more why that was important in, in a few moments. But everywhere I've been, I've put myself in that place to meet non-Christians. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Put yourself in a place to meet non-believers. Next is this, cultivate common interests. Cultivate common interests. Find out what interests them and build upon those things. Remember, it's not about you. But it is about them. And so you just want to cultivate those common interests that you have. The next is this. Be available to help when when people hurt. Be available to help when people hurt. You know, the old saying is still true. People don't care how much you know until they what? Know how much you care. They don't care how much you know up here until they know that you care here in your heart, and you really are concerned about them. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 and 18 says, This is how we know what real love is. Jesus gave his life for us. So we should give our lives for our brothers and sisters. 
Suppose someone has enough to live and sees a brother or sister in need but does not help. Then God's love is not living in that person. My children, we should love people not only with words and talk but by actions and true caring. Through those relationships that I built on that tennis court over those first three months, especially when they had no clue that I was a pastor, began to reap dividends over the next three months. And I would get a call. Randy called me. Another guy by the name, uh, I think his name was Tom, called me. He simply just said, I'm really hurting, man. Can you come to where I work so we can talk? And through those relationships, I began to be able to pour into people's lives when they hurt. Why? I had earned the right. I had earned their respect. I had earned their trust. We had a relationship. And they knew I cared. And so when you develop these relationships, there will be opportunities for you to help when they hurt because you will be the ones they call. You'll be the ones they reach out to because they know that you, that you care about them. And so you need to be available. But next, you need to find ways to just generally serve people. Find ways to just generally serve people. Remember, people are reached more through their hearts than they are through their heads. They're reached more through their hearts than they are through their heads. And so I would challenge you to think about ways that you can serve people. I was thinking about this this morning, and one of the ministries that we have that is so cool, Ramey kind of helps lead this, and that's uh, our mill train. But that, that's an awesome thing. But you know what? That's mainly for our church. It's what it's focused around. So here's what I was thinking about this morning. Wouldn't it be awesome if you, in your workplace, in your neighborhoods, all of a sudden found out about a neighbor or, or somebody at work and you decided, I'm going to go bring them a meal. I'm just going to bless them with a meal. You see, you find ways to generally serve people. And that will give you that opportunity to pour into them. My wife, Lucy, anybody who knows Lucy, you know that her and I are the complete opposite. I mean, we're, we're the complete opposite on everything except our love for Jesus. And then, then, then we're the same. But because we're so different, I'm the one that's the extrovert. I'm the one that's meeting people. I'm give you a case in point. Last Sunday after church, we went down to Red Hot and Blue to have lunch. And... Uh, uh, we were sitting here, I saw a young couple come in, they went back and sat in the back room, but I saw he had a Purdue t-shirt on. Now, I'm not a Purdue fan, but I am from Indiana. So I used that as an opportunity to go meet them. So we, we get up to leave, and Lucy's heading for a door. She doesn't even know where I'm at. I turn around and go this way. So I go back, and I say, hey, so you from Indiana? Or did you go to Purdue? And he goes, yeah, I went to Purdue. And we began to talk, and they're a military young couple, military family. And we began to build build just some conversation. It was just a starter point. But that's me. Now, Lucy can't do that. She was heading for the door. <laughs> you know, she's the introvert. She, she doesn't do that kind of thing. But I do. But she has always found ways to serve people. And so a lot of places where we've lived, especially when we've had young couples, in which we do now, a young couple that lives right next to us, she finds ways to serve them. She'll babysit for him for free just so that mom and dad can finally have a date night to get out of the house. You see, you, you find ways to serve people. 
Because in serving, you reach the heart before the head. Because if you try to reach the head before the heart, it's probably not going to go very far. So reach the heart. Just find ways to serve and pour into them. And the next is simply this. Be yourself. Use the personality that God has given you. Be yourself. Use the personality that God has given you. Don't think you have to be like anybody else. You don't have to be Billy Graham. God didn't create you to be Billy Graham. God created you to be you. And so use the personality that God has given you in order to share the love of Jesus. And remember, you don't have to have all the right answers. But when you don't, just be honest. I mean, if if you can't answer their questions, then point them to somebody who can or take the time to say, let's discover this together. But use the personality you're given because all of us have different personalities. Again, my personality is, is totally different than my wife's. It's totally different than my son, Brandon. Now, Kyle and I are a lot more alike in, in our personalities when it comes to people. Brandon and I are the opposites as well. Brandon was in our family. Brandon's is the one who's a missionary now in Kenya, in Nairobi. But Brandon's always been very intellectual. He was into books and reading, and I read if I have to. Um, You know, (laughs) if it's there, yeah. So he's into that. He was into computers. You know, he was on a path to go into some kind of medical, in some kind of medical field. He's just always been wired that way. He went from high school into being a sophomore. He just skipped his freshman year because of everything he had already done. That's just Brandon. But here's the thing that's cool. When he was at the University of Oklahoma and got really involved in the campus ministry there, he began to reach people I would have never been able to reach. But because of his personality, he was reaching those intellectuals. He started, a, he started a Bible study that met in a bar for international students. I mean, he, he, that's just the way he's wired. But that's not me, but that's him. And so he used the gift God gave him to begin to reach out. In our elders meeting, I've shared this with Mike before. Mike and I are wired totally different. Half the time, I don't know what he's saying. <laughs> now, that's not always true. But uh, sometimes... But those of you who know Mike know how he's wired. He's, he's got his PhD. He works in a, and, and, and does things I could never understand. But the cool thing about that is he will reach people I never will. But if he thinks he has to be me, he'll never reach them. If he thinks he has to be somebody else, he'll never reach those people. But if he uses the gift God's poured into his heart and his life, he'll reach those I'll never reach. That's why we understand, man, we're in this together. We're in this together. So use the personality God has given you. But the next thing we need to understand is this. Not not only that um, we have to develop these relationships with those outside of Jesus, but the last thing I want to share with you today is this. We have to learn to share God's story and our story with clarity and passion. We need to learn to share our story and God's story with clarity and passion. Whether you realize it or not, man, words have incredible power. I mean, they just have incredible power. They can do tremendous good or they can do tremendous harm. 
Words can encourage and build up, or words can tear down and destroy. They can bring clarity, or they can cause confusion. That's why it's so important that we learn how to choose our words wisely, because what we say can lead someone closer to Christ, or it will cause them to remain farther from him. Words are incredibly important. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 9 says, If you speak in a way that no one can... I love this. If you speak in a way that no one can understand, what's the point of opening your mouth? James chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. People can tame every kind of wild animal, bird, reptile, fish. And they have tamed them, but no one can tame the tongue. Here's the thing. God has a powerful story. A powerful story. It's simple, but it's powerful. And it's our job to learn how to tell it with clarity and passion. So how can we begin to do that? Well, the first thing is simply, or let me just give you one thing today that can help you. And that is this, learn to be a good seed planter. Learn to be a good seed planter. In other words, avoid the temptation to dump the whole truckload of the gospel on them at once. I mean, don't sit down with a person, open your Bible to Genesis and say, we're going to be here a while. (laughs) Okay, it's not going to work. So avoid the temptation of dumping the whole truckload of the gospel or the Bible on them at once. Instead, you need to learn to be a good seed planter. You need to learn how to plant the seeds of the gospel in the hearts of people. In Mark chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, it reads, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. You see, there's a, di- there's a lot of, uh, of different ways that we can become seed planters. There's a lot of different things that we can do, some different things that we can say, but there's a simple and effective way of planting the seed of God's story that I personally like to use. Some of you probably, a lot of you may have heard it, maybe you use it, but it's a great simple approach. It's simply called the bridge. But it's a simple and powerful way to illustrate what God, through Jesus, has done for humankind. It simply goes like this. If, let's say I was sitting down with Joe. Joe, come here a minute, will you? Uh, just kind of sit down here. Don't want you to stand the whole time. So Joe's here, and Joe and I are talking. And I know that Joe is, man, he, he is such a heathen. And uh, <laughs> he, is, he is so far from God that he needs him really desperately in his life. No. Let's just say that Joe's been coming to church, and, and I have the opportunity to sit down and share. And as we share, I discover that he's really never taken Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Because one of the things I always do is just, I always ask the people just to share their journey, their, their God story. And so as we discover, and Joe, Joe just doesn't have that story yet. So I said, Joe, let, let's suppose that you were wanting to go from point A to point B, and you're going on a trip. So point A is here and point B is here. But the problem is, as you go and as you drive and as you do life, you come to a place 
where there's this huge gulf, I mean this huge gap, and it's so big that there is no way that you will ever get across the point B. Now, in order to get across there, if nothing's there, what needs to be there? A bridge, right? So if, but, and if there's a bridge there, then you are able to cross from point A to point B and get to where you're going, right? Now let's think about it in your spiritual life. Let's just say, Joe, point A represents your life as you are now. Point B represents God. And we're in heaven and eternity with him. But in between is this great gulf. I mean, it's huge, it's massive, it's deep, and it's called sin. And sin separates you from the Father. And even though you want to get there, there's nothing you can do. I mean, there's no amount of effort. You may try to go to church, you may try to give, you may try to serve, you may try to do a lot of good things. But in doing those good things, you'll never do anything that's good enough that's going to allow you to get from point A to point B because of this gulf, this gap that's called sin. And just like if you were driving, there has to be a bridge there, doesn't there? There has to be something that allows you to get from point A to point B. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, which means he has become our bridge. This is what God has done for you. He saw your sin. He saw that no amount of effort on your part could ever deal with that sin. So he said, I'll die for you. I will take your place. I'll take the hit. I'll pay the price. And he took the cross, and he put it in that gulf. And the cross beam of the cross becomes your bridge. And the vertical beam covers the sin. And now you have a way to get from point A to point B. But it's only through the cross. That's the only way we can come to the Father. Thanks, Joe. And see, it's a very simple but very effective way. Joe's going to be baptized at the end of the service. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's a very effective way to just share the gospel with somebody. Because it helps them to understand that there's no amount of effort on our part will ever bridge that gap. But the cross will. Because of what Christ has done for us. So here's the point. The point is this. Whatever illustration you choose to use, keep in mind that it has to come from your heart. Again, you can't give something to someone that you don't already possess. So be a good listener. As they share with you their journey and their story, be a good listener because you can pick up those things. Keep it simple. But always keep your focus on the cross of Christ. And let the words be humble and healing and wise and gentle, encouraging and grace-filled. Remember, you are not responsible for transforming the human heart. That's God's job. Our job is simply to plant the seed. The Spirit's the one that brings about conviction. I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that if somebody doesn't come to Christ because after we've shared, then we've, then we've failed, and that's not true. They just may not be ready yet. Because, you see, it's not your job to bring about conviction. It's your job to share and plant seeds and then to allow them to, to grow and allow the Spirit to bring in the harvest. But you also not only need to be ready to share God's story, but you need to be ready to share your story when the opportunity presents itself. 
Let me tell you, if you've come into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus, then you have a wonderful and you have a powerful and you have a redemptive story to tell. And here's why that's true. Because regardless of how old you were when you came to faith, hopefully there's a difference between how you lived before Jesus and how you were living since Jesus invaded your world with his grace and his mercy and his love and his forgiveness. You see, we have a story, an incredible story that needs to be shared. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are God's chosen and special people. You are a group of royal priests and a holy nation. God has brought you out of darkness. Get this. He's brought you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, in other words, based on that fact, you must tell all the wonderful things that he has done. Remember, people just want to know how Jesus makes a difference in the day-to-day grind of life. That's what they want to know. Let me give you a a quick example from from God's Word. It's found in Luke chapter 5. And in Luke 5, we find a man who has leprosy. And he comes to Jesus for help. And in the message version, in verses 12 and 13, this is what we read. One day in one of the villages, there was a man covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him in prayer and said, If you want to... You can cleanse me. Jesus put out his hand, touched him, and said, I want to be clean. And he immediately his leprosy was gone. Now think about that. Can you imagine what he must have felt like in the hours following this healing? I mean, what do you think he told every single person who would listen from that point on? Do you think he said, hey, man, it's really no big deal? I mean, it's really no big deal. I, 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 only, I just had leprosy. No biggie. I mean, my arm is going to fall off, but, you know, it's, it's no biggie. Do you think that's what he did? I doubt it. I imagine from that point on, he said, you know, Mom, look, I was a leper. But when I met Jesus, I have become healed, totally and completely healed. Just moments ago, everything about me was rotting and moldy and diseased and disgusting. But I've been made new. I'm clean. And now I want to live. I want to finally be whole again. Now I have hope in a future. Do you see a story unfolding? Do you see a before and an after story? And who knows which aspect of his before and after story was the most compelling to him. The one he kind of honed in on as he shared with people. But the point is simply this. For the vast majority of you sitting in this room, the same pattern is true for you as well. No, you weren't a leper. I'm not saying that. The pattern is the same. You have a before and you have an after story. You have a before and an after story. And that's, that's about all people need to, to hear right out of the gate. They want to know what you were like before you came to Jesus. They want to know what the experience was like of embracing faith in Jesus and what you were like after you accepted God's free gift of life. I mean, maybe you were striving for more, but now you've found real contentment. Maybe you were grief-stricken, but now you have peace. Maybe you were self-destructive, but now you are healthy again. Guilty, but you're forgiven. You see, your own before and after story doesn't have to be more complicated than that. It just has to be simple, and it has to be said with a humble heart, and most importantly, 
It has to be true. Don't make up a story just to sound good. I mean, don't make up a story because you feel like you have to have one of those gutter-to-glory experiences, and if you don't, then somehow people aren't going to believe you. So don't make it up. Keep it true. Keep it simple. Here's the thing. Before Christ, we were all lost and headed for an eternal separation from the Father. Look at, look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. He says, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old, stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and just do away with a whole lot of us. But the amazing thing is this. Right in the middle of our lostness, if that's a word, that's, I'm using it. Right in the middle of our lostness, God did the unthinkable. He allowed his son to pay the price for our sin. So Paul goes on to say this in verses 4 to 6. Instead, in other words, instead of just getting rid of the lot of us, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our dead, sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus, our, our Messiah. How awesome is that? You see, you and I were lost before God, before Christ in our life. We were lost, but God saved us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's why we all need to understand this incredibly important principle that I shared with you two weeks ago, and it's this. You'll never be excited about being saved until you realize that you were once lost. You need to drill that into your heart and into your head. You'll never be excited about being saved until you realize you were once lost. Because if you don't think that you were ever you were ever lost, then you'll never be excited about the after story, which is your salvation. But when that reality of your lostness sets in, you'll have no problem sharing the amazing things that God has done in your life. Let's reflect. You see, the reality is this. All of us struggle, I think, with knowing what to say or what to do to really become connected, to really become engaged with those who are around us, those who are outside of Jesus. I think it comes down to just making ourselves available for God to use us. Isaiah the prophet struggled with the same thing, but, but I want you to listen to the conclusion he came to. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, this is what we read. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. You see, you don't know, you don't have to have all the right answers. You don't have to know the Bible cover to cover. You just have to know what God has done for you in your life. The amazing things that he has done. Before, during, and after. And just share that with people. And help them to see their need for, for the Savior.
and then step back and allow the Spirit to just work on their heart. To mold them and to shape them into what He wants them to be, not what you think they should be. Isaiah said, Whom shall you send? Send me, Lord. Just send me. We're going to pray in just a moment. Before we do, Gabe, do you have those cards? I want us to, I'm going to pass out. It's just a prayer card to you. It's got the scripture from 1 Peter that we read earlier on it. And then it just has the two questions that I asked you two weeks ago or to think about. And that is this. Ask God to give you a vision and a passion for your family, friends, neighbors, and coworkers. And then pray every morning for God to give you someone to share with. Then it's got a place under that that says, I commit to pray for such and such each day for his or her heart to be open to the gospel. And I want you to put this somewhere you can see it. I want you to write down somebody you, know, you have in mind right now that you want to pour into, somebody that you want to gift with the amazing grace of God. Put that there and then put it somewhere where you can be praying every day. God, give me somebody to share with. God, give me this person to share with. Adam's going to come and he's going to play. Or actually, April's going to come and she's going to play. <laughs> Somebody's going to come and play. <laughs> and as she plays in the background, I just want you to begin to pray, God, just open my heart and open my mind. God, if you were, if you were to ask, whom shall I send today to us? I want you to pray. Send me. Send me to my neighbor. Send me to my family. Send me to my coworker. Send me to that person on the street corner that begs that I just kind of pass by because I'm tired of people standing there. Send me, God. If my neighbor needs something, Give me the opportunity to, to maybe help them. I built a deck for my neighbor in Indiana. That was back in 19, uh, around 1996. I was just back there a couple months ago, and it's still standing. I had a young couple in the church that needed a playground, one of those wood playgrounds, but they didn't want to spend all the money it cost to build them. They didn't know what to do, so I built it for them. Just say, God, send me. Whatever it is, send me. So as April plays and we reflect, whatever's on your heart, if you have something that you just need to get right with God, this is your time. You come and we'll pray with you and encourage you, especially if, you, if you've never accepted that free gift of life. And I pray that you'll come because you heard the simple gospel this morning through the illustration of the bridge. He's done that for you. So maybe that's you and you just need to say, God, I want to accept you into my life. Maybe you just need to get some things right or maybe you want this to be your church. You want this to be your place that you want to serve and be. You know, one of the things I was thinking about this morning, I was looking back on some things and 
I was reminded that so many times that when we go into an area and we know we're only going to be there for a short while, we live like we're visitors rather than residents. And because of that, we never really fully engage in the area and the church and the people. So my challenge to you is this. Get connected. Say, God, it doesn't matter if I'm going to be here six months or two years. I need a home that I can share with people and grow and get connected with. Maybe that's you. So as April prays, I want to encourage you to come. Just get up and come and sit down front and we'll share with you. Let's reflect.